Welcome, everyone, to episode two of Darcel Disappoints, a collection of conversations with me, your host, Benjamin White, and Craig Redman, creator of Darcel. Episode one, titled Meet Darcel, is now available to listen to on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and a whole host of other platforms. We covered Darcel's origins as the protagonist in Craig's illustrative blog after his drunken entry into the green card lottery way back in the noughties. Craig came straight to New York, where he still resides, and the beautiful Big Apple is where we will set our scene for episode two. Hey, Craig, how are you? Hi, Ben. I'm, I'm really well. How are you? Very good, thank you. How's life in the Big Apple at the moment? I'm looking out my window, and it is an extremely dreary, uh, dismal day, which is very in keeping with Darcel's, um aesthetic and personality, so it feels very apt to be talking to you today. And, and like, tell us a little bit about your relationship with the city, and, and actually maybe at this time of year as well, because New York is a very Christmassy place, and so uh, I'm really interested to know, uh, you know, what your relationship with the city is like, and just generally how, how you fit in with the city. You definitely do get into a relationship with New York. Um, I know that's, uh, uh, it's kind of talked about in a lot of different TV shows, that, but it really is true. It becomes a, a, a character in your life. Uh, and definitely in terms of Darcel, New York is, you know, apart from Darcel, the main character um, in his artwork and on the blog. You know, there's this cinematic quality to New York, both through your experiences of New, of New York on uh, small and big screens and also that kind of like aesthetic to it as well through the architecture through iconic structures like statue of liberty and stuff like that like it, it sets a mood and it sets a tone and it definitely becomes like a part of your life it's really really strange like i definitely draw from that you know for sure and and when you moved to new york initially like how long did you spend <laughs> finding things that you recognized from the movies. One of the cool things about when I moved here, I think it was even pre Google maps. So you, it really was a process of discovery, uh, accidentally going the wrong way and finding yourself in some location that you recognize from a movie. Super, super strange, uh, especially coming from Australia to the U S I guess there's that cultural shift as well. But I feel like some of the things that I discovered in real life versus my perception of them for from afar were kind of disappointing, right? Like nothing can live up to how something is portrayed through media. And it was kind of like those disappointments about New York is kind of what started uh, Darcel. You know, I wanted to focus on those little things. For sure. I remember my biggest disappointment in New York, I've been there a couple of times in the last year, is the Ghostbusters building. And uh, <laughs> I drove past it in a taxi and I was like, oh, my God, the Ghostbusters building. And I jumped out to take a photograph and I took a photograph and I was like, eh, this doesn't feel like it felt in the movie. It just feels like a, an old fire station <laughs> in downtown Manhattan. The, the movies and the media paint a beautiful picture of Manhattan, right, which is, I guess, different to, to life there. That kind of gloss is amazing, and that's that's definitely part of the experience of New York, but there's also the daily grind, right? 
the banality of living in a crappy apartment and trying to find money for dinner that night. Like that is the side of New York that I really wanted to focus in on with Darcel. So that was really interesting to me. So at the end of the last episode, we had landed in New York City and you were using Darcel as you say, as the, the vehicle to share your observations of the city. How long did it take for you to feel at home in New York? Probably took me about five years to feel pretty at home here. I think the old cliche is that you're a New Yorker after you've been here for 10 years, which seems like an extraordinarily long period of time. But I'd say about after five years, I started to feel at home here. Even from the minute I moved here, like it felt to me like the right place for me to be. It it felt like it just was meant to be. I mean, that's a very romantic vision of it, right? For now, I just actually cannot imagine living anywhere else. And certainly while I've been here, lots of friends have come and gone. Works for some people, it doesn't work for other people. But it really just grabbed hold of me. And I, it, it seemed like the right place for me. And I think like if you find the right set of friends, you know, and you can all sympathize in the insanity of living in New York, the crazy rents and expensive food and, you know, lining up for two hours to get a table at a restaurant or whatever. Like it's absolutely nuts. And I, I think once you have your kind of support network here, you kind of rally <laughs> and that's what makes you want to stay, right? A determination. <laughs> um, tell, us, tell us more about how New York then provides inspiration for your posts. I really just do find inspiration from my post from being just aware of my daily surroundings. Like whether it's going to a grocery store or an exhibition, a museum, a tourist trap, like just being aware of like the kind of banal experiences you might have within those surrounds. That truly is the inspiration for me. The other day I did a post pretty simple. I think the title was why I don't go out. It was from the night before when I'd been at a bar with some friends, standing at the bar, waiting forever to get a drink, you know, with 50,000 people there. I was like, why am I doing this? This is just ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just being aware of those stupid little things that you put yourself through. What was the most wildly, like, unbelievable thing then that you've observed and then gone on to post about? God, there's so many insane things you experience here. I think probably the most memorable was during Hurricane Sandy when all of lower Manhattan, where I was living at the time, uh, was totally blacked out. And that was a really surreal experience. Being in the world's craziest city that never sleeps kind of situation and for it to be like pitch black day and night for, I think it was three or four days. It was really, really, really surreal. And I kind of made a point of like blogging and illustrating during that time. I couldn't upload anything because there was no electricity but I could create the work the weirdest part was for, for me was when people started to kind of form these communities around uh power outlets <laughs> so most people didn't have electricity in their apartment you would find occasionally like a public building that had a power outlet in the street and there'd be hundreds of people clustered around it desperate to like charge their phone or their laptop or whatever so that kind of experience was really, really surreal. It's probably the wildest thing I've seen. And do you, do you think that New Yorkers typically uh, rally together? Because I, I actually, I went to New York in 2005, which was obviously four years after the 9-11 uh, travesty that took place. And, and I remember speaking to a couple of cops uh, in a diner 
and uh, and I asked, you know, they asked me how how my trip was, and I remember saying like everyone was really very very kind, like even though it it was incredibly busy and that you know people were rushing here and there, like it it never felt like it was too much to ask somebody a direction or a, a recommendation, and so do you find that typically like New Yorkers rally together? Isn't that so weird? I think maybe it's because we're British and Australian that we find that odd. But yes, when I when I moved here and even to this day, I'm still shocked by how helpful New Yorkers want to be, both on like a practical level for getting directions or even with, uh, you know, kind of career moves as well. You know, that kind of full spectrum. Everyone is really open to helping and helping you get ahead. And maybe that is because of this shared experience that we're talking about like that. You know, it's very difficult in the city. That shared experience, that kind of grit and determination, it makes you want to help other people get through it as well. And so you were capturing all of these observations. Um, what were you doing for work at the time? And and obviously you, you created the blog. How long did it take for the blog to take off in terms of popularity? I studied design, so I had and have an illustration and design career. And But when I moved here, I was like, it, it, you know, it was very much a, a crisis moment for me in my mind. Like, okay, what do I really want to do with my, my life? You know, this is a big shift. I was doing very complicated illustrations. Why not just simplify everything into its basic, basic form? Uh, and that's why I started Darcel, along with other reasons. And once I started creating the artwork for the blog and started doing a few posts, I was actually pretty lucky and it took off relatively quickly, like within a couple of months, which was pretty amazing. I remember at the time, this is really crushing for me, but I'd been doing it for like six weeks and I remembered that I had set up a, a Darcel email, which I had totally forgotten about because I wasn't really taking it seriously. I was just doing it for fun. <laughs> I know it's insane to think. And then I was like, shit, I better check that email. So I checked the email and there was an email from ID magazine, a, a British fashion magazine that I've always looked up to. Uh, and they'd asked whether I would do, from memory, it was like a, create like a Darcel editorial story, which is wow. Um, yeah, totally amazing and like total fantasy project to work on. But I realized they had sent it ages and ages ago. It was, you know, maybe it was like a month ago or something. No. I know. Crushing. Absolutely crushing. So and I so quickly, did you reply? Did you reply to them? I did. I quickly responded in a state of panic. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> never heard back. <laughs> oh, no, Thinking, that is a killer. I know. I thought it was my big... Uh, my big chance to be able to do something great with Darcel. So yeah, that was definitely crushing at the time, but it also made me realize that people had started taking notice of the blog. Um, and it made me take it a little bit more seriously. Um, yeah. Super validation that like, were there, you know, what, what do you think drove the positive response? And like, were there any really early adopters to your Darcel work that then went on to really encourage you or kind of give you a great opportunity? I think people got into the blog initially because of the kind of realism of it. Darcel is this colorful, bright character, or at least the illustrations are. Um, but he was doing very kind of like cynical takes on New York. Uh, and so that makes him relatable. You know, he, the kind of life he was living is the kind of life that most people in New York are living. 
I think also people liked it because Darcel would like try to get into these bars that were really cool. And if he did manage to get into the bars, he would have like a kind of a cynical take on them. Like I remember going to the Beatrice Inn back in the day when it was really cool. And, you know, your head kind of touches the ceiling. It's impossible to get a drink. You have to line up side outside for hours to get in and he was kind of offering these kind of like takes on that uh, yeah it's so like, like just life being behind a... the velvet rope not being quite so cool exactly just the realistic take on stuff and i think that that's really what made him uh relatable and fun amazing amazing and then and then early fans or, or people that really like gave you a, a a leg up when it came to kind of being able to push ourselves forward absolutely the first person to kind of waved the Darcel flag was um, Sarah from Colette, uh, Parisian boutique, um, which has since closed. She contacted me again really early on, maybe only after a couple of months, said she loved what I was doing and would I like to do something together. And we did, I think, a skateboard at first and like some lighters. And she really encouraged me to, to keep doing, to take it seriously, I guess. Amazing. I can hear you've got sirens in the background, Craig. Is that typical New York traffic and uh, noise? I feel like I, you're just relentlessly enduring sounds and screams and horns and <laughs> sirens. and <laughs> It's a relentless beat of sound that I've just become accustomed to. Well, I love it. I think it adds real authenticity to our podcast. <laughs> I know we have like a whole episode dedicated to collaborations uh, in the future, but... I'm really curious about your drive to take Darcel like beyond the blog and maybe into your kind of full time. Do you think that living in New York inspired this? 100%. Darcel would not have happened if I had stayed in Australia. Uh, it was really that mental shift to a new country and a new city that uh, kind of fueled the fire, so to speak, to get Darcel created. I think also being in New York, that kind of like, ambition here that drive is so infectious in fact i would say it's a brutally ambitious place new york and it really just seeps into your into your veins and makes you more and more determined to do or to create things that you never thought you could do before it, that's that real drive that real push downside of that is of course that you can get burnt out for for the same reasons but i think if you can ride that ambition that drive that wave in the right way it's it's really positive there's this post actually I did a long time ago. I think the title was um, Keep Moving in New York or Get Run Over. And I think the illustration was Darcel in front of a trailer, a truck, frightened for his life kind of thing. But I think <laughs> that sort of metaphor works really well for New York because if you do take it easy, if you relax, uh, whether it's with your career or your life, like there's always someone there that's going to take your spot. So it's really up to you to push forward and push onwards and be be ambitious and that yeah that drive is just instilled in you here it's kind of a necessity to get through living in the city that's a nice metaphor do you do you often like uh, incorporate those into your posts so it's not just the literal but it kind of like there can be double meanings behind some of the posts that you create i think some of the best posts over the years and don't ask me to quote them because I can't remember, but <laughs> have that double layer of meaning to them for sure. There's a certain joy in doing something that's super direct and super simple, but I like to think that there is subtext to a lot of the posts and illustrations that I do too. 
I love that. That's the kind of thing that I love in uh, Disney or DreamWorks where, you know, the children get to enjoy something, but the adults secretly snigger in the background because it's very, very clear that the the uh, something you've just seen or heard has got two meanings to it. I love that. Right. Best case scenario, there's like a, if you go back for a second take, there's a second level to discover for sure. Um, what changes have you observed in New York since 2008? Because I said like I'd been in 2005 and then I went back uh, this year in the summer. And honestly, it was like being in a different place. Like you've, you've obviously been there and seen those iterations. What's, what's that been like? I mean, what hasn't changed in New York, I think would be a better, <laughs> a better subject to focus on. I don't think it's that unusual to go to an area that you haven't been to for, for six months. I live in Brooklyn. Let's say I go to West Village, which I don't go to that often and like not recognize any of the avenues at all. You know, I think that's what's so cool about the city though, right? It's kind of constantly reinventing itself either through desire. Someone has a new idea to do something or necessity, i.e. a business hasn't made it and is being replaced by something else. And that reinvention, I guess, also reflects or comes back on you too, right? It forces you to reassess constantly what you're doing, maybe think of new directions you can take. I guess the changing of the cityscape, yeah, really, really affects you as a person as well. What drives you crazy about New York? And have you ever considered leaving? Just one thing that drives me crazy about New York. Huh. I can list about. <laughs> okay, give us your, your short uh, list. <laughs> you know, it's a very complicated city to live in. I think, actually, surprise, surprise, I did a, a blog post about this. I, I think the, the title was something like, to live in New York is to be constantly conflicted. And it was an illustration of finance bro walking past a homeless person. That's a pretty simplistic view of New York, but you are confronted by those kind of situations all the time. A lot of people live below the poverty line. There are a lot of extreme wealth here, to use two examples, right? You might walk past a luxury apartment. Outside that apartment is huge piles of trash and rats running everywhere. Right. These kind of dichotomies exist everywhere in New York. So, of course, all those elements drive you nuts it is a very difficult city to live in but the other side is the creativity here is so amazing like it's so inspiring the kind of people that live here often are the best in their fields and if you get to meet people like that how can you not be constantly inspired by what they're creating within the confines of this city this city has the best galleries city has the best museums um, and and the people that form the city that are interested in those things make it so fascinating and so amazing to live in. I, for now, I cannot imagine living anywhere else. And, and okay, so then give us like a, a couple of places as well then that you love, like places you like to visit. Maybe, and they don't all have to be like super, super famous places, just places that you like just love to revisit. Okay, some of my favorite places are my local coffee shop, which surprise, surprise is an Australian coffee shop. <laughs> <laughs> Some home Some comforts. Yeah, I will, I will never let that go. Uh, it's called Shop in Brooklyn. In terms of like big institutions, probably MoMA is still my favorite, the Museum of Modern Art here. It's just, A, I love the architecture, I love the space, the evolving art there. It's a place that you can kind of get lost in, which I love too. I love the idea of like, you know, 
I always say in New York, actually, I did a blog post about this too. It was uh, in New York, you're always 12 inches from someone. You constantly have people in front of you and around you. It's just no escape. But somewhere like MoMA, I find I can go to obscure galleries, maybe, you know, not the ones that have Van Gogh in it, but other galleries that people are less interested in and be almost alone. And I love that sensation in New York. You know, it feels, feels really, really good. So I love museums for that reason. That's really interesting you say that. I'm I'm thinking about like the idea of being alone. Like how did you find the pandemic and and the whole like lockdown situation? It was pretty surreal for sure. Um you definitely like the rest of the world you have that sense of isolation from being um separated from everyone. Cool things that came out of it at like sundown every day everyone would lean out their windows and break into cheers and applause for all the doctors and nurses and health workers at the time. So that kind of like sense of community and spirit was really uplifting. I think everyone needed that. I also really liked that, like you couldn't visit friends, you couldn't go to friends' apartments. So what everyone would do is stand outside their friends' buildings and have conversations from the street. <laughs> on their daily walk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It literally was on the daily walk. You text a friend saying, I'm going to walk past your place today at like three in the afternoon, stick your head out the window, and we would have conversations that way. So I think, of course, New Yorkers found a way around <laughs> being like completely isolated. That sort of stuff was what made the pandemic and the sense of isolation kind of subside a little bit. Um, let's focus on Darcel again. Um, do you consider him a New Yorker or do you think you could have created him anywhere? He's absolutely a New Yorker and he needs New York to be Darcel for sure. I mean, if he didn't have anything to complain about, he wouldn't be Darcel. And New York provides plenty to complain <laughs> about. <laughs> I think so. I, what maybe gives him a slightly unique perspective is that he's still an outsider, right? He's a representation of me. He's a Australian that has moved to the States and is living in a different city. So there is a sense of other to him, which enables him to have kind of like realistic and I guess a little bit astute observations of the city. So he needs New York and he is a New Yorker, but maybe he looks at it from a different lens. Well, look, Craig, absolutely fantastic. Um, That concludes episode two of Darcel Disappoints. It's been brilliant learning more about how special and important New York is to you but also to Darcel. Thanks, Craig. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ben.